This talk was given by Michel Segay-Spark at Zen Mountain Monastery. Segay is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Rodel. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Segei. For those of you I haven't met, good to meet you. Hello to everybody in the Zendo and to people at home. As part of senior uh, training, I'm a, a lay senior. That's why we're wearing white. Um, Shugan Roshi asks us to give talks, <clears throat> and share our, our experience. Today, um, there's several things I want to cover. I tried to simplify this thing, but I, it may get a little hairy. <laughs> um, so our practice is, uh, especially in Session, in Zazen, to go deep inside. Basically, to sit up straight, in the still quiet, and face inwards. And that is something we're not conditioned to do, so we have to learn about that. As uh, Gokhan mentioned yesterday, um, Shigam Roshi's been encouraging more study. In the early days, study was with Dogen. We studied Dogen primarily. Um, Dido um, relieved us from being ignorant, like we didn't know what he was talking about, by saying that the truth goes beyond words and letters, famous saying by Bodhidharma, and we must look inside. So that was something I personally um, was relieved to hear. Recently, uh, in the Sangha practice group that I co-facilitate with Jisho, who's also here today, um, we've been studying the paramitas, which are the six, at this point, six uh, wisdom practices. The fifth is meditation. And on that um, note, I just looked up, looked reviewed um, Dogen's comments or wisdom on um, meditation on zazen. And um, I'm going to look into that a little bit with you. It's a wonderful fascicle. It's very short and pithy, kind of like what you get in the Buddha Hall instructions when you first arrive here, how to sit. But it also has aspects of why would we would want to do that, what's motivating us, and what is it ultimately about. The one that I was looking at is called Universal Recommendations of Zazen for All People. So then, uh, another thing that happened, um, the archive of audio talks has been, is live. I'm not sure if it's on the web yet or exactly how it'll be made available. And these are talks from our own history, um, a lot of which, um, we have a lot of contemporary talks on our website, but not so many um, going way back. And um, I'd like to say kudos to the people, Kyosho and team, who have been working on that for years and years, <clears throat> based on audio tapes that we had in the library. There was a little closet. There must have been 500 tapes in there. And you would go in to find the koan you were working on and get Dido's talk out and take it home and study it. So, um, but there are many talks by our current teachers, 
Shugen Roshi, um, Hogan, Hojin Sensei, um, on this archive, so that'll be kind of wonderful. Um, and that got me to think more about Dogen, <laughs> actually, because, um, as I said, we studied him in the early days. Um, so let me just, for those of you, I, I don't know what people have been exposed to, so please bear with me while I look at Dogen a little bit as his life, because for me, um, when I'm reading someone's words, I know it's coming from their experience, and I kind of would like to know more about that. And um, a little bit that we know of Dogen's bio really point to deep, deep questioning. He was a founder of our Soto School in Japan, uh, which had been started in China as and involved over time, of course, in the 13th century, very long time ago. Ancient teachings, as Gokan said. And um, in his bio, there are some things in there that make me consider what he might have experienced as a young person. Um, he was brought up in the court of Japan, so a rather rigid society um, without what is known to have had a, um, a father that was noted, known. Uh, he was illegitimate, they say. And, and then he had an extraordinarily early loss, I would imagine. Um, his mother died when he was seven. So a great loss and um, in a very sort of uh, conditioned like society with a lot of expectations that he probably, because he wasn't in the line, you know, people get sh shoveled around. But um, there's a story, and I think this may be a myth, but who knows, that when he was at his mother's funeral, he, he recognized impermanence through her loss, her death, as the smoke coming off the incense burner. Uh, that's a really young age. To We know profound loss all along in life, but um, to lose a parent. Nevertheless, he was precocious and talented and learned languages easily entered monastic training at 13, so very young. And it seems like he was very accomplished, but restless. He had a restlessness, because his questions about life, maybe, or who he was, or, or the Dharma, I don't know what the exact questions were, weren't answered by his monastic training he trained for 10 years, so at around 20, age 23, he decided, and I don't have a good background, I'm not a scholar, so please. Um, we can assume that whatever was going on in Kyoto was dissatisfying for him, because he decided to go to China to seek out the roots of, of Dharma, a more authentic Dharma, I, would, I think it has been put that way. And that's where he met uh, Ru Jing Tiantong, uh, I think that's his name, who is a, in the Soto Gaodong school and a grand nephew of Hang Shi, Hang Zhur, who we study here in the Book of Serenity Koans, beautiful collection of koans and poetry and a translation called The Cultivating the Empty Field. So he went right to the heart of that. What I think his question might have been, if we are originally enlightened, why, why do we need to practice? Why do we need to practice? But I don't know that for sure. And 
he, he studied for four years, um, and he re received Soto transmission, decided to come back to Japan and start his own place. Now, the thing is, is I was going to put in here his enlightenment uh, story, but turns out it's probably a story <laughs> and not perhaps true. And what I did find out in doing this talk that I didn't know before is that he kept a journal while he was in China. The journal was never shared with his disciple who wrote down all his talks, Ajo. Uh, and it was found after his death and then rediscovered in the 1750s. Um, Dogen actually was forgotten for many hundreds of years in Japan. So maybe in that little bit of like rediscovery, they came across this journal and um, it's now translated in English. I'm not sure when that happened. But the journal does not have anything about his own personal experience. It's all about the Dharma and what's authentic and what are the traditions and how does he actually bring this back to share. It's a big burden, really, if you think about it. So in our tradition, um, we heard about Dogen early in when I arrived here um, through Daida Roshi, who I'm assuming received it from his teacher, Maizumi, but I'm not completely sure on that. And recently, um, you know, in the last few years, we have officially become part of the Soto School. Shugen Roshi went to Japan and I believe did the ceremonies and paperwork <laughs> to be part of the Soto School. So we can say that Dogen's really our ancestor now. He was before maybe our ancestor. <laughs> anyway, and Shoan recently came back from Japan and shared several things about her experience and wanting to find the roots of the Soto practices. Um, and while she was there, she visited a convent, of a small convent of nuns, uh, Sato Roshi's uh, training temple, which um, Sato Roshi had been here in the early days and was a great friend of Dido's. And Eheji, which is where Dogen finally, when he got kicked out sort of of Kyoto, he took his band of people up to the mountains to Eheji, uh, which was is about, I don't know, four to six hours from Kyoto. Uh, I had the great fortune to go with Daido Roshi um, for the 750th anniversary of Dogen's entrance into Nirvana, which was celebrated for a full year, and they invited Western teachers to come over and do ceremonies. So a group of us went with Daido. AAG is absolutely incredibly gorgeous and a lot of steps. I wouldn't do very well. I don't think they have elevators. My, my foot's still healing. But a lot of steps up and down. It's on the side of a mountain, and they're all covered walkways. Very beautiful. Anyway, I'm sharing this because if I were to walk into a place and... I knew nothing about the background other than what I could glean from the internet. I, I thought it would be nice, since I've been here so long, <laughs> to just share what, a little bit of what it was like to be here studying Dogen with Dido Roshi and the seniors, um, and what that was like. Because we receive our teachings Believe it or not, it doesn't come through the books, the many, many books. It doesn't really come, it comes a little bit from our face-to-face -face with our teacher, but we receive the teachings through our own wisdom and our own going, facing inside and doing sasen. And how to parse through some of that material, it can be, feel a little overwhelming. So, um, <clears throat> let me see here. 
Dada Roshi deeply loved Dogen. I feel like I got the feeling that it was part of his own personal transformation. And every Ango, as we still do um, many times, select a fascicle of Dogen's to read and study. And these are short. They're, you know, um, at most four or five pages. One of the things that Dogen came through about Dogen that I felt that Dido was putting forward is that everyday practice, and that means everyday activity, is, is realization. It's completely one with that. Dido really felt that we were like oblivious half the time. Like he would say, look at what you're doing, <laughs> because people wouldn't, and he especially would get uh, upset when they mistreated tools and things like that, not taking care of things. So when we studied Dogen, basically we had a handout in a folder of the fascicles translation and the Japanese and Chinese um, characters on the page. And we would sit in the dining room morning and afternoon, going through phrase by phrase, line by line, these fascicles. The writings on Zen at that time, in my sense, oh, we had a library. It's one of the, I believe it's a dorm now, upstairs. And the library consisted of books on Buddhism, some literature, a few other things, and some Zen books, Zen um, books. And maybe there was four long, sh tall shelves of Buddhist books and like four books on Dogen, uh, and very few books, two, you know, 50 books maybe on, on Zen. This is pre-internet. Um, the bo books that we had in translation was the Cross Nichima four-volume translation of Shobo Genzo, Moon in a Dewdrop by Kaz Tanahashi, which were more poetic um, translations, and He Jin Kim, Mystical Realist. So as I said, no internet, very few, occasionally an academic person would do a retreat, and very few teachers. And we would, as we sat in the dining hall going through this, um, Hobai Pekarik and Kondo Johnston would sit with their giant Japanese English dictionaries and ta tell us what the literal translation was. And then we had to try to figure out what Dogen was saying. So when I look at Dogen or anybody in practice or in the Dharma, in the sense that we all generally are human and seek to know and have questions about our life, like could be generalized, could be feeling of anxiety or history, what happened, from, from Dharma teachers and ancients, I look at the person, try to get a feel for that because there's this, there's this camaraderie, there's something shared there. And Dido was especially um, helpful in bringing Dogen as a person to life and all the ancients in his teishas on uh, koans. When the, there were people involved, he would give background, talk about who they were as people and why they may have come to this point. And that was very um, helpful because it created a sense of tradition a sense of community, a path. That part I felt very grateful for um, because for me personally, my family had lost its tradition uh, through traumatic, um, well, my family got wiped out in Europe and um, coming here, we lost connection of what happened, who we were who was in our family, uh, where we were, and, and so forth. So um, <clears throat> 
On the other hand, the Dharma teachings in Atesha were confounding. I could never really... I didn't understand it. I didn't know what they were talking about. I loved the zazen, and I thought, okay, that's going to be, have to be enough for me. In a way, it was a dismissal of, of this feeling of being a little lost. I didn't like being lost. It was so uncomfortable, because I was such a know-it-all, and anybody who's like that doesn't, doesn't really feel comfortable when they don't know. <laughs> So anyway, um, but, uh, you know, admitting where you're at, where I'm at, admitting where we are at with all the discomfort and questions unanswered is, is actually clarifying. And it is to what I would say a right view is, because we're actually have a fuller picture. Because if we just go to what we know, um, good is that? It's where we don't know, where we are lost, because we're not looking at it. We're not allowing it to fill. So I encourage people to do that. And I, I use this image of entering the path of the ancients. It's like going into a forest, and we're, we're glad to be there, and we think there's a path, and it's like right there. And then as soon as we step into the forest, we lose the path, which is just brambles and tearing our skin off. There's no path. There's so many things to look at. We don't know what we're seeing. Is it this way? There's, and then we trip over a stone or fallen branches, and, and all of a sudden we're totally lost in this forest. And we don't see the ancient sentinels of the oak trees that are holding up and sheltering the forest. And this is kind of an experience one can have in practice, because we enter the path, we've gung-ho, it feels great to do zazen, we're discovering all this stuff about ourselves, and all of a sudden, all this other stuff we didn't really want to take care of or look at, um, comes rushing in and trips us up and confuses us. And we don't know which way to go with that sometimes. And we don't know how to take in the immensity of all the things we're feeling. Um, They could be conflictual. And just how to be with that, how to be on the path, even call it a path. So there's maybe when we start, for me anyway, it was very little trust, but great yearning. It's not a bad combination, but it takes, you actually need great faith, need that. And the great yearning is helpful because that'll help you be more determined. And letting go of things and feelings and ideas when we're first encountering them, uh, you know, the mind doesn't want to do that. That's probably not too possible. But that's okay, too. So, so Dido started um, really with the Dharma, creating a foundation using Dogen. As I said before, in our practice, we learn to face inwards and find the truth of things and of ourself, like the basis of ourself. And when we're in that forest, even though we have all these things that obscure us, we still haven't encountered the wilderness yet you got to stick with it for a long time. And then, then the wilderness starts to show itself to you. Kind of a wonderful uh, consequence of sticking with it. 
So I just want to mention that when things conflict in your mind or confusion, and you're not even sure you want to say I'm confused, because, I mean, I know I didn't, but it's not a bad thing to be confused, because think about it, you're not really grasping onto this is it. You're confused, so you have a little looseness there. There's a possibility. So appreciate that. Appreciate confusion. And the truth of the matter is that there's no real substance to anything, right? Supposedly, that's the truth. To realize that is when you really hit the wilderness. And learning to accept uncertainty in all this. I imagine Dogen, you know, his life was deeply uncertain with the loss of a family and conditions, learning to work with what we're faced with. That's at least applying what we know or what we're learning to know. So getting to Dogen, um, as I said, Dino Roshi put forth that uh, Dogen's re- said that realization was every, is one, none other than everyday activities. And the sacred and the mundane are one. So that's integral in all the rhythms of life here, uh, especially in session, because we're living and doing everything in harmony with each other. These are everyday activities. Okay, so um, here I'm just going to read a few lines on on this uh, one fascicle. So this is Fukan Sazenki recommending Sazen to all people. So he, he wrote this in 1227. It was a few years after he came back from China. And um, he wrote uh, several versions of this. Uh, there's other instructions. So I think he was probably giving instruction to people who showed up on a Sunday morning, <laughs> like we do here. And in this fascicle, which is a page and a half, he gives instructions on how to sit physically. I mean, he literally described this is an accessible, relatively accessible fascicle of Dogen's. You can really feel him, him, his own questions, and what he's trying to convey. I mean, it's it's not. Um, esoteric or confusing that way. Um, so in it, it includes sort of an intro of why, why practice, why we motivated, how to sit, and then how to turn our minds towards the Dharma, what that means, how that impacts us. So I'm just going to read the first. Um, I'm going to read two paragraphs and then talk about the first one. That's all. And maybe, and then the last one. So you just, this is the layout. <laughs> and this is a translation. Um, I didn't pick the traditional one. So for those of you familiar, this is uh, one I got from um, the edited book called Enlightenment and Unfolds. Um, I know Kaz Tanahashi was the main editor, but there are so many contributors there. I'm not really sure who, who uh, translated this. The real way circulates everywhere. How could it require practice or enlightenment? The essential teaching is fully available. How could effort be necessary? Furthermore, the entire mirror is free of dust. Why take steps to polish it? Nothing is separate from this very place. Why journey away? So that's the first paragraph, and I'm going to talk about that. But um, the, the second one is, 
And yet, if you miss the mark, even by a strand of hair, you are as distant as heaven from earth. If the slightest discrimination occurs, you will be lost in confusion. You could be proud of your understanding and have abundant realization or acquire outstanding wisdom and attain the way by clarifying the mind. Still, if you're wandering about in your head, I'm going to repeat that. Still, if you are wandering about in your head, you may miss the vital path of letting your body leap. Uh, Another translation says the vital path of emancipation. So that's his preamble to um, Sazen. So the first sentence really got me. I've been like, it's in my head. The real way circulates everywhere. How could it require practice or, or enlightenment? This sentence reminds me of um, when the Buddha, after six days of sitting, saw the morning star and said, I and all sentient beings said, I'd once enter, enter the way. And Dido used to say, you are perfect and complete and lack nothing. So... It's Friday of session, and I wonder for you, does the real way circulate everywhere? Does it matter if you practice? And what about enlightenment? For Dogen, I don't know, but... (laughs) His question kind of implies his doubt. If he really felt it was everywhere, why did he go to China? Why didn't he just stay in Kyoto and practice? So this is a person of genius, precocious, well-trained, and he had questions. He had great questions, great doubt. As for the way, that, that word way, the path, the way, it, it means different things, but similarly, as I was trying to describe the path of the ancients in the forest, but it also means the Tao. So, it, I mean, because in Buddhism in, came to China and melded with the Tao, and the Tao is living in harmony with the natural order of things. And we chant that in Oriyoki, that we want to live in harmony with the natural order of things. So our way of life definitely impacts the way, the path. What you choose to do, if you listen, for me, I had to choose not to listen to the news at dinner because it was so distressing. And I was then uninformed. It was a choice. What you choose to do impacts everything. You are a a completely sentient. You're like a sponge. Everything's just coming in. So you need to protect that. The middle way, we use that phrase, being not extreme, not extreme, not existent, solidified, or non-existent uh, nihilism. And um, it also refers to the philosophical debates that went on in the Madhyamika Yogacara school, whether what is exactly real, what is real in that it's intrinsic and valid and dependable. I wonder if anybody can answer that. <laughs> well, I had a question for you. Are your emotions real? They feel really real, powerful, really powerful. But then if I check with you tomorrow, 
you're going to say, oh, I don't feel that way anymore. So is that real? So this circulating everywhere, how do we enter that? Well, we've been doing hours and hours of zazen. Is that us entering, circulating everywhere? Is sitting still within all of this, allowing your stillness and your quiet to allow things come and go as they do? Just watching how the mind works, the way it works. Uh, it has its own tendencies, and we can learn what those are and not fight them, not go along with them all the time, but not fight them. And when you're super quiet, then what is it like? Can you let yourself get really still and very quiet without shutting down? Just being alert, keeping the eyes open, breathing, hearing. He then says, the essential teaching is fully available. How could effort be necessary? So um, I'm going to skip some of that because, okay. So this effort, uh, it's a certain kind of, it's not effortful effort. It's right effort, right, correct effort, meaning correct. So sometimes effort might be restraining something in yourself, restraining uh, the runoff, running off thoughts, restraining me not going there. I'm not going to go there because that's going to proliferate. I did come across, Dogen finally, you know, this question um, about practice. Why do we need to practice if we're already enlightened? He said, although this inconceivable dharma is abundant in every person, it is not actualized without practice, and it is not attained without realization. So it might be a good idea for you to ask yourself why you are practicing. What's your motivation? Another thing that he's in this fascicle um, I'm going to share because it kind of like finding where people get phraseologies, you know. He says, furthermore, the entire mirror is free of dust. Why take steps to polish it? Nothing is separate from the very place. Why journey away? Well, this reminded me of something, and I'm always wondering where Dogen's getting, you know, basically um, this beyond words and letters things. Everybody traditionally trained, read all the sutras, they knew they could do it by heart. And so in Zazen, they basically forgot that, you know, to forget it in a way. But they knew it. They, these were references to all kinds of literature. And this particular, the entire mirror is free of dust. Why take steps to polish it? This is an example. Uh, so in, in that sense, it's more like I'm, I'm working on myself. I, I'm going to look at things. I'm going to analyze my experience. That's sort of a polishing, right? Um, I'm going to change. I'm not going to get so angry. I'm going to work on that. I have method. You know, that's, that's some of that. Now, I'm not saying I, I'm not making a judgment on that. And in a sense, we need to work on ourselves at times when we notice things. So let's just side. But this reference to me comes from the story of our sixth ancestor, Huineng. Okay, so um, the sixth ancestor is notoriously uh, unusual in that he didn't come from a educated uh, social family that would 
put somebody in a monastery. He was considered to be a literate woodchopper <clears throat> from the South. He was an outsider, and he um, heard the Heart Sutra being chanted, and he said, oh, you know, I got to go. I got to go train. This is really important. And so he showed up at Hong Ren's monastery, who, after a conversation, I'm truncating. There's a lot of to this story, and it's kind of wonderful if you want to read it. It's in the um, his autobiography. He wrote this supposedly. And now, whether that's true, and who knows, but it's a very good teaching story, okay? So it's worth reading. Anyway, he shows up there, and he's recognized by the abbot as having potential, as we all have. So we could show up somewhere. We're showing up here with potential. Um, the abbot puts him to work in the rice shed because he's an outsider and he doesn't want him to get singled out, etc., etc. Then one day, the abbot says in a taste show in the afternoon, uh, it's getting time for me to pass along the Dharma. So I'm encouraging all you monks to compose a poem of your understanding and submit it to see who the next abbot will be. And the monks kind of froze because they were frightened of speaking up, I guess, back then. In China, it was like that, <laughs> not here. But anyway, um, so the head monk, Sheng Shu, reluctantly composed a poem, and he wrote it in calligraphy on the wall where such a poem would be posted. Later that day, Weineng was coming out of the kitchen, and he saw writing on the wall, and he asked someone to read it to him. Um, so he heard what was happening. <clears throat> and here's the poem by Sheng Shu. The body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a clear mirror. At all times, we must strive to polish it and must not let the dust collect. The mind is like a clear mirror at all times, we must strive to polish it and must not let the dust collect. Hui Ning said, mm, I think I have something else to say. And he asked his friend to meet him at midnight and so he could write it for him. Uh, so I'll read that poem. The body originally has no tree. The mirror-like mind has no stand. Buddha nature is always clean and pure. Where is there room for dust to alight? The body originally has no tree. The mirror-like mind has no stand. Buddha nature is always clean and pure. Where is there room for dust to alight? The entire mirror is free of dust. Why take steps to polish it? So he's a, Dogen is citing Hui Nang's understanding. Needless to say, Hui Nang was transmitted to it in the middle of the night and had to flee for his life because all the monks were upset. Um, Nothing is separate from this very place. Why take steps to polish it? So remember I was talking about non-understanding? And I know Roshi just gave a beautiful talk on not knowing and all the ways we don't know. It's on the, it's on the web. <laughs> um, I really uh, suggest you listen to it. But confusion, when things are up in the air, and we go one side, the other side, or circles, whatever form that takes. Isn't this um, a place that's free from dust? It's clean and pure. In Zazen, there is no this. This um, oh, and um, these two poems. To me, they don't conflict at all. They're, one is saying, you know, we need to see what's coming up. We need to um, empo empolish. I, I view that as more like being aware of what's going on. 
what, what's real, what's happening, admitting to what's happening. And the other one is the emptiness of all things. So things come and go, they don't have reality, they don't have sol- solid re- reality. And so they ultimately don't exist, and they do change constantly. This is the teachings, right? The two actually go very well together, think about it, in practice. Getting back to Dogen, though, I just want to also um, mention that he taught that everyday practices were none other than the expression of, of enlightenment that exists in all activities. And he was, I don't know what the tradition was before, but there are gathas, little chants, right, that we do or have been done in the liturgy um, for daily life to remind us of this Buddha activity. Um, Seku chanted today in the work gatha, entering this period of work um, to know the simplicity, one wondrous simplicity of what we're doing, and it is uh, no no other than the path of enlightenment or realization. So that's in our um, dedication for the work gatha. I know that Dogen had a toilet gatha, but I couldn't find it. Uh, I saw. I remember I was at Shasta Abbey, and I went into the toilet. And there it was. I went. Oh no! I can't get away from this thing. It was pretty intense, but um, there's a gatha on washing the hands. So these are liturgies that the monks would do to keep their mind present and remind them what they really, truly were as you know, self-sufficient vehicles, as Dogen puts it. The gatha on washing the hands is upon washing the hands with water. I pray that all living beings may gain the pure Dharma gate and forever be without defilement. So this idea, I've I've talked about this before, but the idea of purity or defilement, the Mahayana teachings are uh, that they aren't, that seemingly opposite things are actually um, non-dual. They're the same. They're just complementary ways of looking. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to skip this lovely part about... <laughs> Let me just see something. I, I'll briefly say this. Um, <clears throat> there's a Peanuts cartoon of Pigpen. He's walking around. There's this big dust cloud behind him, and there's a big dust cloud over his head. And I sort of... That's an image for me. It's like when you're caught in things swirling around and you just can't get out, you're in this quagmire, the brambles are tearing your skin. Just think of Peanut's um, pig pen. He can't can't extricate himself. This is part of his self-view. We may have something like that, like a part of ourselves that we just carry around and carry around and it swirls and swirls and it just, it's baggage. It's really, anyway, um, they say that pig pen inhales the dust of civilizations. <laughs> that was funny. So when you go into your zazen, be free. Be free. Let yourself just be there. You don't have to do anything other than refrain from entangling yourself. In study, it is wonderful to take up these old teachings and parse them out and take a line, you know, have a, have a teaching you're with you that you're studying at home. Um, maybe before bed, read a few lines. Let it sink into you. Read it over and over slowly. Um, or after zazen in the morning. This is a way of reminding us of who we are. Part of a, it's not exactly liturgy, but it's related. So I imagine Dogen, he's sitting in the hall, and 
Here's a small group of monks, male monks. <laughs> um, and it's morning session, and it's very dark. There's a candle on the altar flickering. Um, and there may be a few lay people, women, men, in the, in the back. And he's giving instructions on how to sit. And he says all that. And at the end, um, after he, he gives the um, how to sit uh, instructions, with I'm not going to go. Um, he's basically asking, why, why are we practicing? Why are you practicing? So I'll read the last couple of paragraphs to end for that. He says, the zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the Dharma gate of enjoyment and ease. It is the practice realization of complete enlightenment. Having received a human life, do not waste time. After all, form is like a dewdrop on the grass. Human life is like a flash of lightning, transient and illusory, gone in a moment. Honored practitioners of Zen, please revere the mind that goes beyond study and surpasses all doings. Experience the enlightenment of the Buddhas, correctly inheriting the samadhi of the ancients. Practice thusness continuously, and you will be thus. The treasury will open of itself for you to use as you wish. So we're going to have another full day of session. And as you face inwards in this utterly dark and clear night, please revere the mind that goes beyond and surpasses all doings. That is you, and that is me. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, Dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.